0: to the very first episode of Cynical Talk. This is a weekly roundup between your co-hosts, myself, Thomas Brincasso,
1: and myself, George Shaft,
0: where we will be exploring a variety of topics loosely related to MI Cynic, and just seeing what happens, it's going to be a more laid-back approach to the, to the MI Cynic Standard episodes, and it is a chance for me and George to sound off a little bit more on our own hot takes. On our own opinions and the beauty of conversation. I'd like to officially welcome MI Cynic's very brand new co-host, Mr. George Shaft. Hi, George.
1: Hello. Well, it being introduced like that is now sitting here with the oh my goodness, this is the big responsibility now.
0: It is, but also you know, I would not have chosen you as a co-host if I wasn't deeply impressed by your knowledge, your previous work in podcast yourself and some radio work. So you can speak to us about that in a minute. Your charisma, uh, your knowledgeability, and your sense of humor. So I'm so excited uh, to have you on board, uh, MI Cynic, officially.
1: Well, thank you very much.
0: And George, I know you've done some uh, radio work uh, previously. So yes. Why don't you speak to us a little bit about that before firing off today?
1: So my CV at this point, I've jumped around both geographically and careers-wise. I've been involved in teaching in Nepal, uh, just as a random one to throw out there. Uh, I've been doing admin work in Luxembourg. But what's relevant here is the fact that I've Intermittently come back again and again into the world of sort of broadcast radio, broadcast media. Uh, started at university, the with a sort of a politics show there at the university. of uh, called CSR FM. Managed to get an MP on the inter- to interview there one time, which was quite fun. Uh, and then just generally sort of hopped around a bit. Did internship at Fubar, uh, and then. Was uh, a host for a long time at a station called Relax Radio.
0: Yes, which I have uh, checked out, and I was definitely highly, highly impressed by the the work that you've done there, as well as uh, a lot of uh, Facebook sort of live specials that were uh, just you and the audience, which I really appreciated um, as well.
1: That that was Relax Radio's main sort of mo was just of Facebook live streams and having people call in off the telephone
0: yeah something slightly different obviously to to what we're building here with MI Cynic. but uh, regardless it's um it's certainly an accomplished uh, cv and uh, full of different um different avenues of life that you've walked and certainly for for someone as young as you so we are uh, extremely delighted to to have you over at MI Cynic, your new home i hope and uh, and to produce great amazing cutting edge um deeply insightful content together as always with a license to inform, that's the theory. Anyway, the, our audience will have to let us know if uh, if we've been remotely successful. But so okay. So today I've got a fun I've got a fun topic for us, and I thought this would be a great first pilot episode topic that will uh, hopefully resonate with with our audience and of course with yourself, George. And today uh, I've picked out the monarchy.
1: The reason why we've picked monarchy. Uh, was the original plan was to do this episode in line with the Queen's Jubilee, which, uh, from time of recording, recently just happened. Yes. However, uh, it has been a little bit delayed because Thomas here has um, unfortunately had some illness. Uh, but we've chosen our subject, and if anything, the subject's become even more pertinent now. Hmm. You know, well, I'd now like to that think
0: the, we're, still, we're still in the month
1: of the jubilee well not, well not only that but there's also the fact that you know now the euphoria's died down you will you know we're back more to a, a more normal level with a more rational discussion of the monarchy whereas if we'd done it on the jubilee itself there might have been you know that kind Conflate, of conflated hoorah.
0: with, with yeah. a, 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 right exactly yes well you know and, and and i think it's something indicative of Britain that we it's almost funny, you know, being a British person, let's say, that travels abroad, and almost one of the first things that you are hit with very often, especially in the US or Canada and such, is, oh my goodness, have you met the Queen?" And, uh, you know, do you live beside a royal? Inn? And, it, you know, there's almost this... Uh, this impression that uh, Britain is, let's say, um, overzealous, perhaps, or enamoured, or lives, breathes every day its monarchy. Whereas, in my experience, it's not often something that comes up in regular day-to-day life for the vast majority of British people, except during these uh, sort of very high-profile events, let's say a royal wedding, or a jubilee, or something
1: of the like. That is an observation that is actually also borne out by the data. There was a, I remember a few years ago, a very big study that was done in about 40 countries or so, where it was asking, what was the most recognisable part of Britain? And the Queen was by far the winner in everything. Only chicken tikka masala came close. Every well, in just about every single country on earth, just in every single you know, way you frame the question, the monarchy is the most high profile, the most well known, the most immediately recognizable, uh, single item of Britain,
0: right? Which is interesting because it's not a particularly, let's say, flamboyant or unusual monarchy in, in the sense that our king or queen is quite standard sort of run of the mill european monarch no holds barred um it's certainly nothing as as inter- you know we haven't had um, many we haven't had a revolution let's say against the king i think we've only had one king sitting on the throne in in recent or let's say in in modern history that's actually been um dethroned whilst on the throne but other than that it's a pretty standard monarchy um, and i'm yeah. not sure that it is the very best representation of let's say britishness in that sense because they're not let's say the type of life that a royal lives is is markedly different to the type of life that us lowly commoners live
1: in many ways you can almost for for european monarchy you can almost characterize it as unusually tame you now the the Norwegian monarchy officially has a penguin as an officer in its royal corps. The Spanish monarchy has recently been through a huge nationwide scandal around the king's finances. And yeah, there's been a few scandals here and there to do with uh, other royals. Prince Andrew comes to mind and the, uh, yes. the allegations of sexual assault and rape around him.
0: Yes. Uh, but the queen has been remarkably stoic. And, and I think this is, you know, for me, it's it's a point of endearment and certainly one of praise that she has been quite scandal-free and drama-free, and has really been quite dutiful in her role. I don't, I don't, I, I, I struggle to think that we will have another monarch in our lifetimes that has been so committed and and really so perfect because it, it is in many ways a, a relic of the past and a dying institution, and, and, it, and it harks back to a time before really democracy and before you know, individual rights. You know, the, the whole concept of a monarchy is quite feudal in, in nature. And who else but Queen Elizabeth II could have maintained um, the, the regality and, and of it for, for this long?
1: I can't, I can't argue with you on that one, and nor does the public. Uh, when, when you survey the British public on attitudes of the monarchy, there's a, a set level. It's, you know, it always fluctuates how, how often, say 20%, that is Republican. But, I know, but it drops by about three quarters. Again, it always fluctuates depending on when you're asking what's going on. But it, the jet parks, usually about three quarters of that, collapses when it's brought up the idea of overthrowing Elizabeth right now. Right. The, the idea is always, oh, what if, you know, let's get rid of the monarchy after Queen Elizabeth goes. The, that is the usual default position of a Republican in Britain.
0: I think she's, she, as a queen, is remarkable. she is fairly well-respected um, yes. you know, universally, even among Republicans, which is Actually, uh, an incredible, uh, an incredible achievement. Let's say um, yeah. that most politicians would, uh, you know, would do anything for to have that level of respect, of stature, of admirability, of of endearment, uh, not only by her own countrymen, but I, I would argue the whole world. Um, yeah. it's quite an, an impressive achievement. And although I do have, let's say, I do understand the the Republican cause. I will say that uh, I think Queen Elizabeth II has done so well in her role that it's quite easy to make an argument um, for the benefit that it has brought Britain to 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 be one of the few countries that still has uh, a monarchy uh, and such a visible monarchy as well. Um, you know, often uh, we talk about the tourism revenue, but for me, a more important point, I think, is that it is, it is one of the fundamental differences between, let's say, Britain and the United States or Canada. Although Canada norm- norm- normally has our Queen, but it, let's say um, to, to have to live and breathe under the the shadow of the monarchy in Buckingham Palace, as as, as Londoners do, it it is a, it's a very visible sign that we live in a class based society, which I would argue Britain is a lot more um than either US or Canada. And some people will scoff at that, uh, who have more democratic or republican values. But for me, who is is quite a psychophant of, of the class-based order, and who I, I think it's ultimately a good thing. It it humbles people and it reminds us of our place. And I think ultimately it's as a quintessential part of being British is is knowing where you stand in in the social pyramid at all times and uh, i mean we we are drilled at a young age to 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 believe in this system the way we speak the accent you can immediately tell not only where somebody's physically from even to the most minute of of places on a map and just by 3 second speech uh but also their class, right, within wherever they live. And that's a remarkable thing, which I am staying in Canada at the moment, where my family, half of my family lives. And um, if you get somebody from Vancouver or all the way over to the other side of the, the map, which by the way is like, you know, 10 UK's width, <laughs> you can't really tell whether that, you know, they're from this side or that side. Um, so I find that really remarkable. And, and it's one of the, for me anyway, it's one of the, 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 the minute, but quite important things that make us culturally, let's say, English and if not British.
1: So there's a lot to discuss there. And um, I'm having trouble deciding which part to address first. I mean, you mentioned the income from tourism. I've got a whole, a whole couple tabs on that one. But I'll just go back to your point there about the you know, cementing the class system and uh, you know having people know their place to put it in terms you might agree with. Uh, personally, I think there's a that comes with an obvious downside, of course, you know, and that's that it freezes politics far more than I think is probably healthy for a state. You know, chi- times change and so should a country's politics. There's, there's, you know, revolutions happen when a country's pol- body politics has become so frozen, so out of touch with reality that you know, there's no alternative except to overthrow it. Uh, that is both a good thing and a bad thing, Having a state that you know, is stable uh, represents you know, the fact that we're in charge and it's all right, we've got the rules down. I suppose it more depends where you're standing. If you're somebody who currently benefits from the system, then of course, it's going to be fantastic. Let's keep it in charge forever. But a lot of people don't. I'd imagine that you might have very different opinions of the class system if you'd been born working class. And uh, if you will, forever now marked every time you speak as, oh, you're someone lower than everyone else. And we know it's a real source of frustration. Look at, for example, Russell Brand. He is a a very well-known British actor, comedian, commentator, who nonetheless retains very strongly his British working class accent. And... He straight up just tells people, even though I've gotten all this success, all this, you know, so many millions from my work, I still get judged as unintelligent and stupid just because of my accent.
0: Maybe perhaps also because of his podcast, but, uh, uh, you know, uh, this is certainly not the place to cast aspersions on Russell Brand's uh, latest venture. Um, but let's just say that I hope MI Cynic will be categorically different in its approach to. Um, facts. But uh, regardless, uh, yes, no, I agree with you. I think the monarchy, well, this is the point I tried to raise, I think, um, but you worded it better than I do. The the monarchy is fundamentally a status quo vehicle. It it might try and, 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 you know, I think it's quite cute uh, how it, it tries to change or it you know it tries to modernize and uh, we're going to put up funds or commonwealth games or uh, diversity educate da, 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 which is great by the way i think it's great for any institution and or individual to fund projects that are praiseworthy and accelerate uh, diversification and uh, and equal opportunities and the, the whole works of course um, however it, it does strike me as as a bit jarring that uh, the monarchy, when they choose to to fund these certain programs, and I know that here in, in Canada, where I'm staying at the moment, um, as part of the Jubilee celebrations, there were different government-assisted federal f- uh, funds that were set up for, for different kind of awards that were given uh, for different reasons. Um, uh, I'm not going to get into the minutiae, but I believe this was part-funded both by the federal Canadian government as well as the, the Crown. Um, to awards and excellence and academic and otherwise, and and, and to of course uh, foster certain types of uh, opportunities for the less advantaged and uh, for different kinds of uh, discrimination uh, relief and uh, all the rest of it. So it's good, it's great uh, when we when we fund social programs for a good cause. It's fantastic, but I do think it's ultimately the the dying gasp of a dying institution. Which I would agree with you a hundred percent. That if, you know, if it wasn't for Queen Elizabeth, and and when we are unfortunate enough for for her time to come, I struggle to see how it might maintain the kind of relevance and universal appeal that it has today. Because, you know, my question is: Is this a, a sort of a, an an atavistic dying relic? held up by an incredibly popular national symbol. That is Queen Elizabeth II. And when you take the Queen Elizabeth element out of it, will there be enough left to convince 21st century people this is, this is a, a fundamental part of what we are and we should maintain it?
1: Well, you're not going to get any arguments from me about our funding good things like sports games and cultural you know, projects is bad. I'm not going to be the one who make that argument. Uh, Personally, I'm not convinced on the idea of, oh, once Queen Elizabeth dies, the monarchy automatically dies with her. Uh, Not only because uh, Britain's not the only European country to have a monarchy, the Netherlands, Spain, Sweden, Norway, they all have monarchies as well. In fact, Spain reinstituted their monarchy in the 1970s after a, sev- a couple of decades under a fascist dictatorship that abolished the monarchy. At the same, I also don't think it's automatic uh, because uh, a lot of the discussions around the, uh, you know, oh, would the monarchy have the un- same universal appeal revolves around the personality of the Prince of Wales, uh, Charles. But Charles doesn't have to take the throne. And this is an idea that is often floated. It, he could just decide, no, I don't want the crown. And then he could pass it on to his son, uh, William. And William is very popular. He, ha- he has a very, he's universally quite well liked in the UK and has been making his own efforts to follow in the, you know, his grandmother's footsteps
0: right yeah i i do i put, I would agree with you um that I definitely see prince uh, the Prince william as, as a more likely candidate i don't know what Prince Charles will do i don't think anybody does I would say that I think Prince Charles see, might see the role as a more political vehicle than the queen does at the moment because i I do believe he's more sort of in line with uh, some of his environmental policies that he'd like to put in place and and of course he li- he's lived an entire life in the shadows yep. this waiting for this um, trained for this and so i i think that has powerful effects on the psyche and, and 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 i'm not sure that it will be it's kind of like lord of the rings you know you it, like a Smeagol or whatever, one of yeah. the characters, and you're waiting forever to to put the ring on, and you can't. You know, your whole life is based around this. It's this power, because that's effectively what it is. Um, I'm not sure if it's if it's easy or to to abdicate. In fact, we've only we've only really had one case in in let's say recent British monarchical history of an abdication, and that was Edward the King Edward the um, Eighth who who wanted to marry his american fiance wallace simpson and he did abdicate the throne and he's often presented in media especially uh, the newest netflix series uh, the, the the crown as a sort of a weak figure who chose personal let's say uh, satisfaction over the duty of the the monarchy and the regime and that certainly could be i don't know enough to to comment either way i think it i think it could also mean a, a tremendous dedication and an unnatural sort of commitment to a, a deep love that he might have had for this woman that he was able to to abdicate one of the most powerful one of the most powerful positions on earth the the, the crown of the british empire. Did he live to regret that? I don't know. Could it have been the best decision he's ever taken? I don't know. Um, these are difficult things. With great power also comes great responsibility. I certainly would not want to be a King of England.
1: Charles would be the oldest person to become crowned in, if not in, ever in British history, certainly in centuries. Uh, And, yeah, the power of having lived an entire lifetime as always being in waiting, always, you know, seeing the prospect of becoming crowned one day could very well, you know, to, to tap into the inner workings of his mind. It could very well be contorting into this burning desire that he's always going having and he won't give it up for anything in the world. But then equally, there's always an e- a chance that once the moment comes, he could think, I've lived this entire life. I'm-
0: yeah, what's the point? Was,
1: you know, what, what's the point of this? And point? by the right? way,
0: it might be perfectly, I mean, who knows, right? But both the Queen is, of course, uh, at a later age of her life, but so is Prince Charles. So yeah. it might very well be possible that um, the Prince Charles leaves us before the Queen does. It, uh, it's anybody's guess.
1: It is anybody's guess. Uh, and certainly the fact that you know, his personality is often brought up as what could, King the Mon- could kill the monarchy, because he is controversial. Some people love him, some people do not. You know, if that argument penetrates and you know resonates with his psyche, who knows? But mm-hmm. then again, this entire this is all you know, psychoanalyst psychoanalytic
0: speculation, of, let's say, yeah, not uh, not what M. i cynic is one known man's, for, but...
1: of one man's view of himself.
0: Yes. Yes, precisely. So, I mean, I, I really think you're right. It's, is
1: the only thing I can
0: claim. It is anybody's guess, and you know, ultimately, the monarchy is an institution, but it's incredibly um, personality led because it's it's um it's a family, and it has one head of the family, which is the head of the state and and the Commonwealth, and um, but ultimately, it's it's very much shaped by individuals, and. Um, Undeniably, Queen Elizabeth II has had uh, an incredible 70 years on the throne and has deeply shaped not only the the monarchy, the crown, but also Britain and the modern world as a whole. And so ultimately, whether it's Prince Charles or Prince William who takes the throne next, um, they will undeniably also have uh, an incredible paper to fill and and a role to play uh in in their part of world history mm-hmm. so i'm very well, keen I to. The, to sorry yes yes well of course yes it's a, it is a it's a big it's a big role and it's it certainly has a has a lot of history and tradition and uh, it will be interesting to see how the monarchy is is shaped and where it is taken uh by our next monarch and that wraps up this week's cynical talk episode if you've enjoyed this episode, we'd really appreciate it if you could share this with your family and friends. If you haven't, let us know why on our website at www.micynic.com or over at Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, and more. You can find us over at Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and wherever else you find your podcasts. This is your co-host Thomas Boncasso, and I hope you'll be joining us next week for our next episode of Cynical Talk. Until then, take care, stay safe, and stay cynical.